0: Alright, so we're good. The original podcast. Uh co-host, guest, whatever. Uh long time no see. What's been up? What have you been doing? I think you moved.
1: Yeah, I did. Uh I'm I think it was uh October thirty first when I moved. Oh. Ah, yeah.
0: That's the second day that was my second arrest, October thirty first, twenty fifteen. But anyhow. How was it? How was transitioning out of the halfway house for the criminally insane <laughs> <laughs> where we first met?
1: Well, uh, my case manager was sick uh, out sick that day. So uh he had me uh, go with the peer mentor yeah. uh named Richard. So uh we uh left out outpatient group that day, and then we went yeah. back to Evans Lane and then uh I started packing my stuff, and then he said that he'd leave and let me do my stuff before you come back and pick me up. So I took a bunch of pictures because uh, my mom told me. So I my camera, I took pictures of the kitchen, uh, the computer room, laundry room, outside. At Basically, no place. No, at, at Men's Lane. Why? Because my mom wanted me to. <laughs>
0: <What's> <laughs> so, so you can have <laughs> memories. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so you take so you take pictures. Of yeah. Evans, like, and
1: anyway, <laughs> I got all that stuff packed up, and then a few people helped me brought to the homie uh, bring it to the front, and then uh, then the peer mentor came and p- picked me up, and then he uh, ran out of gas uh, on I think Alma or one in the streets. Yeah. And then so we had uh, some guy help uh, push our push the car to a parking lot, and then we <laughs> called two other peer mentors, and then they came, and then eventually we. Long story short, we made it back and then he had to drive me to work that day. So, uh, so, and then he told me like the buses I had to take to go back from De Anza and the new place. And then, uh, I think my first night when I came back from work, uh, this guy named Giovanni, he just asked me like, oh, hey, he's like, he kind of welcomed me and then he, he wanted, wanted me to give a little bit of a background. And okay. Talked about a DV and then he said, oh, you're not gonna like, uh, go crazy on us or like <laughs> hit somebody and like no i'm fine yeah and uh i've settled in uh they serve only dinner so it's you have to find your own ways for breakfast and lunch yeah uh there's wi-fi nice yeah uh we have a uh, three three house meetings per week
0: wow that seems like a lot
1: so, really? yeah sunday uh Tuesday and Thursday I'm never there on the Tuesday ones that I work but uh, that's when they check our meeting slips you have to go to three outside meetings uh. and uh well yeah you need to be compliant and if you want to in order to have a weekend pass or if you if you want to go outside and right. a, a overnight pass yeah so I mean I only for me it's I only have two meetings per week with which count as a patient group and uh dv class, but uh for me it's it's kind of a mood point because I can't go back home anyway right now because it's peaceful contact outside the home. Mm. So
0: wait a minute. So your outpatient group counts as a meeting? Yeah. Ah. So you don't have to go to to like AA or NA meetings. You just have to go somewhere that's addressing whatever you're dealing with.
1: Yeah. It's
0: pretty nice. I have a I have a requirement of three meetings. It's four for the house, but three if you're working or going to school. Mm-hmm. And I found this meeting, like, actually pretty close to here, That uh, and I live close to here. So uh, I just go there on the weekend, and it's really easy. Like, I thought it was going to be a big burden, but it's really easy to go. And they don't even check my meeting slips. Mm. There's so many people in my house. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, there's, there's like four houses, wow. right? And it's one SLE, but there are four houses one of them is where the manager stays one of them is where the people who are like active and working stay which is where i am and that's like a eight-man house i think and then uh one of them is like a handicapped house and another one i don't know what it is i think it's like people who are doing time because i heard the manager bragging about that like oh yeah there are guys who have done time here that's how great my sle is (laughs) the courts are willing to sign off, like that's how strong of a program we run meanwhile he doesn't even check my meeting slips (laughs) but it's fine like i'm just uh it's so it's so interesting to me i was thinking about this the other day and it's part of what motivated this and i hope it can continue but you and i think one other person are in this unique category of my life (laughs) where it's that you guys understand you you have experience in the jail world you have experience in the mental health world and you have experience in the college world and it's very rare that someone and i know you personally right so um one person is from my outpatient group or at least that's how i met him and then you obviously uh the first day i was out of jail you were at the place where i moved in right and i lived for nine months or so yeah so it's always interesting to see how other people deal with these transitions. And one of the big ones is moving, so that's why I brought that up first. But, uh, you know, what we find important and how we're dealing with our day and what our schedules are like are extremely unique. Like if you look at the college crowd, going to meetings per week is not a part of their life, right? Um, or if you look at the uh, like criminal crowd – Going to school is not a part of their life, or the mental health crowd going to school or going to these meetings or whatever, it's not really a part of what they're dealing with day to day. So for each of us, I imagine we're kind of alone when we're alone, right? Uh, There's not like a huge community uh, for that. So that's what I enjoy, at least in part about the podcast. Also, you have a nice haircut and whatever. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and what's funny to me too about the, the three people I'm thinking of including myself is what you mentioned when you moved in which is that for for a while now maybe the rest of your life you're going to move into places and say hey I have a criminal record I have I'm taken DV class I've taken or I am currently taking domestic violence cl- classes yeah. right so that's going to set off an alarm in yeah. any sane person and then The job from that point forward is to prove how normal you really are. But the funny part of that is, if you're in this crowd of criminals, if you're in this crowd of mental health patients, uh, maybe not so much students, but maybe even in the crowd of students, you're constantly out of place because you're more normal than other people. Like at every stage, there's always been someone who says, you're not supposed to be here. Like when I was in jail, it was Poyo, who was my first bunkie. Actually, my first non-brothers bunkie. (laughs) Who was like, it was the first time I moved to a bottom bunk, and and he was like, you know, he was like a Hispanic gangster. He was going to the pen. This was a felony pod, and he had been watching me for a couple of days, not you know anything creepy, but we were bunkies, and as you know, actually, you might not have had that experience. Yeah, Yeah, because you were in a single cell on the eighth floor, which is Mm -hmm. what's cool about meeting here, by the way. (laughs) I hope you got that. Uh, But anyhow, he was like, you're not supposed to be here, fool. And I said, dude, I first of all, I am supposed to be here in the sense that I actually did something that broke the law. But it's not like I'm trying to prove myself by being like, I don't want to be in here. (laughs) There were people who wanted to be like more, (laughs) you know, gangster than they really were. That was not me you know, from the jump. I'm like, I'm a college student. I'm reading, I I got a statistics book from the teacher, like within really early on, played handball, worked out, that's it. I'm not bragging about any war stories. I never did meth. So, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to be able to jump in on the drug stories. I don't have like extreme sex. Well, depending on who you compare me to. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, I, I just say that to say we're in this we're always playing both sides of the fence on one end you're either not extreme enough like i i suspect you have encountered this at least once in your dv classes you're either not extreme enough or you're you're going to trigger someone into thinking that you're much more dangerous than you actually are like i say all the time i'm an insane felon which is true well actually technically it's not true that i'm insane But, uh, it is true that I'm a felon, but what happens in someone's mind when they hear that? You know, it's that words are so, there's the connotation attached to things so that you're dealing with that side of life that I'm dealing with as well, which is trying to explain either why it makes sense that you're in a situation that you're in or why someone is overestimating, you know, who you are. Or, or how dangerous you are, because of the titles that are accurate descriptions of um, you know what you've been through, I guess, is one way of looking at it. I also like that you mentioned Wi-Fi. That's like the most important thing. When I moved into my new place, it's like, whoa, wait. Yeah, I have Wi-Fi now. That was a huge struggle at Evans Lane. Yeah. It's like going to that McDonald's or that <laughs> shitty Jack in the Box. <laughs> It's always OD and the jack of the box. Actually, when I was I was thinking about this. When I was in that McDonald's, a bunch of weird stuff happened. One, I interviewed this chick, who uh, it was the best and the worst podcast, and I never posted it because the the interview was great. It was spontaneous. I didn't know the person. We held a conversation for a while. Those were the things that I was looking for. But the only problem was her voice was so fucked up, or his, I don't know. Its voice was so fucked up that it was unlistenable. Like the voice is like, (laughs) I was like, is that And I thought maybe it was something I did in editing. So I went back to the original file and it was so terrible. But anyhow, I wanted to say this. There was a guy I knew in jail named Eddie. And we played handball together for hours. And he, actually, he reminded me of you in a way. (laughs) (laughs) Because he was in jail, but he wasn't like a criminal thinker. He was kind of just like an introvert hispanic dude you know there was nothing that stood out about him he was just calm he did his stuff and then you know eventually he got released and he saw me in the mcdonald's and he came up and he's like i didn't recognize you your hair looks different and i was like what the is that eddie (laughs) it was eddie and he was on a thousand things he was on at least coke and drunk (laughs) And uh, I didn't, I mean, I didn't know he was an addict at the time in jail because he was always clean, but uh I just felt, I didn't know what to do. So what I said was, listen, I don't know much about addiction, all right? I've never been involved in anything serious, but because I am always around addicts and I am forced to go to things like AA and NA meetings, like call this hotline, please, because I know that... I've seen you when you were sober, you know what I mean? I know what you're capable of, and you don't have to go down this road. But that's another side that, you know, the three of us have in common, and hopefully I can encourage you and this other person, although I don't think you guys need it, um, encourage you to do is to to continue progressing. How many people go through this system and they end up just fucked in one way or another, you know? And it's not over for either of us or even this third wheel. (laughs) Um, But I do think that that's something worth um, celebrating, at least on a small scale, that you've seen things that nobody's going to relate to. But it doesn't mean that you have to fall within that category or or, or live, live within that lifestyle for the rest of your life. You know, there are ways to make connections outside of that. And I think one of the biggest ways is through things like conversations, through recognizing, like I was saying, we have to we have to make our own case for the rest of our life, you know? Or at least until everything's expunged. <laughs> Can you believe that? I graduated, but I still have a case in another county, so I'm still a fucking felon. <laughs> I might go to a university, I might transfer into a UC as a felon and then get it expunged. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully it gets figured out before then. But um yeah, we're we're going to have to like as as uncomfortable as it may be, we have to like embrace what is real for us. And what is real is that I do have to, I am living in an SLE right now. I'm not living, you know, Although, to me, it feels like I'm living like a king. Um, I am living with people who are currently fighting addiction right now. I am... Um, any house that I want to go into after this, as long as I have something on my record, I'm going to probably be the worst applicant on the background check. Even if I have enough money, which actually happened to me once. And part of the reason why I wanted to live at an SLE. Because I don't want to go through the battle, but I have to and you have to and we can become more comfortable you know recognizing that and perfecting it uh at least when we're around each other you know because in a way it's a safer environment and there's there's no risk if something weird happens it's just going to be funny to me <laughs> you know what I mean if you say if, if you caught a case it would be funny to me <laughs> but uh, I mean I still try to help you out <laughs> But it would be more of a joke than it would be. I I would assume that it had something to do with you skipping medication or something like that rather than some core part of your personality. Um, but that continued support, I I think it's, uh, we've, we're all you've got. <laughs> I think it's necessary because it's such a small category. How many people have ever lived at, you know, an Evans Lane type scenario? You know? Oh my God, speaking of which, I did one of the funniest, this is one, if you have the time, I want you to listen to this one, although you might just hear me talking, maybe I'm talking too much this time too, (laughs) but I did one that was the most hilarious one to me to date, which was that I was talking, uh, I met some girl, (laughs) right, and I was explaining to her what the past year had been like to me, but what what was funny was that there was a cultural disconnect, like i' I was talking to her like I was talking to somebody in my pod, you know what I mean <laughs> but but this poor girl this poor girl was like this poor girl was like, you know an Iranian immigrant or something, it's her first or second or third year, and she's just trying to live the American dream, and then her poor soul meets me, and I'm telling her about all this criminal shit and <laughs> And I'm, I'm expecting the reaction of like, you know, somebody who's kind of used to this type of shit, but she's just turning white. And I'm like, oh yeah, I, like this is a milestone of like, I, I need to change my delivery method because it doesn't suit the new culture that I'm trying to get into. Um, but anyhow, that's, uh, that's that. How, uh, how is school going?
1: good i got a uh, a's in all my classes and a plus and uh environmental science and a in stats and then and the a in the futsal class i took
0: do you have your uh what was what was stats what was the name of the class math Tim? yeah math ten. can i use like uh notes or something from your thing because i'm going to be tutoring stats but i haven't taken it in years
1: uh yeah, I'm, I don't have my binder on me, but I still have yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just yeah.
0: eventually, I mean. That's pretty cool. Yeah. What are you taking, uh, next quarter?
1: English 1B and, uh, history 17C.
0: I don't know anything about 17C. 1B. It's, uh, um,
1: modern U.S. history, I think, uh, 1900s to the present day.
0: Are you still interested in journalism? Yeah. Have you considered writing for the newspaper, The uh, Voss? <laughs> or La Voss? Yeah.
1: I met with, or a while back, I met with my disabilities counselor. Yeah. And uh, I think he, there was a class I was going to take, but it was just like an introduction to journalism. It wasn't actually the class. Yeah. And I, because I was a little confused as I thought he was talking about the, the newspaper. And I told him, like, you know, with constraints that I have, I wouldn't be able to, I wouldn't be able to, uh, you know, right from the newspaper just due to time constraints. So I told him that I was like, what is this class? And he explained it. But, uh, hopefully when I get back home, I'll be able to.
0: Yeah. So the main time constraints are not the courses that you're taking. They're the things that you have to do to stay compliant with your housing situation. Wow. (laughs) Well, overall it is a good thing that, uh, you could be doing that and worried about, um, how you spend your time than like just being in your cell, right? <laughs> cell living. Did you like cell living? I mean, well, you, I guess you didn't have much of an option, but did you, did you feel like you got used to living in a cell? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah, I feel like it, it's really not that bad. I've, like, so the only time I was in a cell by myself was when I was actually psychotic and that <laughs> sucked. But, um, then when I, I came back from, a, from the hospital and I went back in the cell, it was bad but not horrible. <laughs> and I would always see guys programming. Like I didn't understand how people could have a bunkie in their cell and be comfortable. But people seemed to like that more than being by themselves in their cell, even though there was such small space. So I didn't get like used to jail until I was in a dorm. And then I got super used to it. Then it was, it almost became a vacation after a certain point. After I understood a little bit about prison politics, I was like, oh, yeah, I I know how to navigate this so that nothing happens, and I'm good. But sell is still a little creepy to me. (laughs) Hey, that's how it is. So school's good. The housing is in check. Um... If you want, we could talk about how things have progressed with your parents.
1: Yeah. Uh,
0: so, what was the starting point at the beginning? It's fair to say things were bad.
1: Yeah. Uh, I don't know I had been off uh, medication as, as a. My uh, psychiatrist told me or said that I, I didn't have to take it anymore. That was back in uh, what I think uh, February last of twenty sixteen. Wow! So uh, I wasn't taking meds for, or I didn't. The doc, the psychiatrist, thought I was fit enough not to have to take medicine. So I was about five months without meds, and then uh, uh, I don't know. I wasn't keeping up with. I was using too much, uh, or t- using the computer too much. Uh, not exercising enough, uh, and then I think I got obsessed with the album release of uh, Ariana Grande. Uh, oh right, album right, release. right. So that was part of it too, and then uh, also uh, with that game I played, the ESPN fantasy game Streak for the Cash. I yeah, was, I was kind of which is a gambling game, right? It's not gambling because you don't you don't have to pay money to play. It's just you can win money, but it's free. So it's it's a uh, interesting. There's no, no there's no risk involved yeah and then uh I remember one time uh, I started starting getting physical with my dad or there was one time I wanted to use a laptop so I can make a selection and then he and then I just stood in his way and he, it was it was on a weekend and he had to go to work I think that day too and I just like stood in front of him and then I wouldn't move and then finally he slapped me and then I was like okay and then there's, a, there's also another time I remember specifically in, uh, we were in the laundry room and then I wanted, it's like a similar thing. I wanted to make a selection and then I slapped him and then these kind of little things bu- just built up until the final, until the manic episode actually happened. But uh, now, uh, we're on good terms, the whole family. Uh, I met with them on Thanksgiving. And that we did what I told you. Uh, and then we're going to meet again on Christmas. We're going to go to San Francisco. Nice, uh, nice. Yeah. And then, uh, for New Year's, we're going to have a lunch together and then, uh, watch this new Star Wars movie, The Last Jedi. But I told my dad that yesterday and he said that, uh, his immediate boss was inviting, uh, my dad and some other coworkers to watch the same movie. So. <laughs> He asked me to, he asked me to reconsider and then he also, and then he also added, you know, I don't have to go. And then I was like, you know, I don't want that to happen. But I mean, if you, if I really want to watch a movie, then I mean, they'd be fine with it.
0: Mm-hmm. That's good, man. It's nice that, uh, to t- it's nice to take a look back at things from your current perspective because they're kind of burned in your memory at the time. And sometimes there could be a lot mixed in with reality. Um, But it seems like you're, almost every time I speak to you, you're a little bit more clear about what happened, um, how you were at fault, and how um, your overall uh, condition, I guess, your overall mental health status played a role in you making decisions that you made, um, because at the very least, we could say it influences your personality um, and the degree to which it does that only the individual can really say. But, um, you know, there's some mixture, especially with mental health stuff, there's some mixture of taking responsibility for things and also recognizing that you really, in, a, in some specific ways, do not have as much control if you have a certain mental health status than if you didn't. So, uh, in a way, releasing responsibility in certain ways. Um, but yeah, I uh, for me, my uh, manic episode was at the end of my senior year. I think you, I've told you too many times. <laughs> and uh, But part of it involved family. In fact, at the beginning, family was central to all of it. And then later on, it became more abstract, the video game stuff, Matrix stuff. But at the beginning, it was just family related, um, delusions and hallucinations. Um, the earliest one being that, uh, something terribly wrong had gone, had happened in my childhood, which is on some level true. Like, I mean, horribly wrong is kind of a dramatic way of saying it, but there were things in my childhood that were legitimately, um, disturbing that i'm aware of that had nothing to do with the delusions um so i grew up i grew up with my aunt my uncle um i was originally raised by my parents and then something happened and i was being raised by my aunt and my uncle so that is what's legitimate about this whole story is that i i wasn't aware of the reason why i was uh why the custody was unofficially switched, and two, it was a painful experience living with my aunt and uncle, at least at the beginning, but even toward the end it was painful, not so much because of what I was going through, but just because of what I saw other people go through. So uh, those actually are legitimate, but that's not what my delusion was. My delusion was that I was raped by my uncle, but then (laughs) it was that, But then it was that, no, 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 no. You were raped by your grandfather and two of your uncles because they're all the same person. And then (laughs) I was like, what? (laughs) And it just got increasingly more weird from there to the point where I believed I was Neo from The Matrix and I had to do X, Y, and Z, which included crime, in order to get out of The Matrix. So uh, how does that all boil down to now? Well, now I'm going into, as I was going into my winter break, my brother calls me. I have an older brother and a younger sister. And my brother basically says, hey, if you want, you can come to Pasadena. You know, I can give you a ride. You can see the fam. (laughs) And and my first thought, my first thought is, fuck that. (laughs) Right? I don't want to be raped by my grandpa uncles, you know, like they did when I was a kid. But then after processing a little bit, I thought, oh, no, 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 no. What's going on is, I was having delusional experiences two years ago, and some of the residual shit is still left in my mind because I just don't think about family that often. I'm sorry. (laughs) But um, I'm mostly thinking about the next meal. But uh, metaphorical meal, by the way. So, yeah, and, and and the first time I thought of it again, these feelings that were attached to it in this delusional psycho time... Uh, We're we're at the front of my mind. Now, I think about it, I still don't want to go to Pasadena, but it's not because it's some delusional trip thing, or at least, I mean, how aware am I of my motivations? That's another discussion. But to me, it's more that I want to build my life, and this is the correct place for me to be to build my life. If I went there now, I wouldn't be going there from a stable position. I'd be going as someone who does not have everything together yet and is, you know, still figuring things out. And I think that is going to end fairly soon. I think pretty soon I'm just going to be a regular university student, right? I mean, already now I'm pretty close to that simply because unlike you, the requirements that I need to meet in order to continue my housing are very easy to meet. I could do it on the weekend without even thinking about it. Um I like to take breaks from homework anyway. So taking a break to hear, you know, a few people talk about their alcoholism is, is like really more of a reward than it is a punishment. So, um, yeah, I, I just, the reason now is more that there are things I want to build where I'm in an optimal position to do that. And there's a risk associated with me. It, it's basically with me going back because there's something that I've noticed over the years when it comes, especially when you're talking to people who aren't chefs, right? Uh, it's much better to finish and then talk about something than it is to, to speculate. Because when you speculate in front of people, they get very, they don't really know how to deal with that. Now for chefs, and this may translate into dealing with uncertainty in general, but, people really are not that great at dealing with things like, I'm not sure, I don't know, I'm not fully aware yet, I'm not there yet. What people want to hear are definite things. And I've seen this growing up in my family, right? So what I'd rather do is say, from a distance, (laughs) I'm working on things, right? (laughs) But I never want to be in person saying something like, it's not finished yet because it could change the way people interact with me in the future, and I would rather not. I'd rather just finish whatever I'm going to do and then go in and say, okay, now it's finished. Now let's discuss. You know, Basically, because in a way, I mean, maybe this is a fucked up way of viewing things, but in a way, every time you are interacting with somebody, they're evaluating you. And they're deciding whether or not a future interaction is worth their energy and time and and what qual they're kind of getting a rough summary of who you are. And if you so so in a way it's like a presentation problem that drives me toward, you know, finishing what I've I've started in a lot of ways. Um more than it is this kind of psychotic, you know, fear. But um you know, everybody's going to interpret things differently. I just have to try to stay connected with what appears to be true at the moment and then reevaluate, you know, but that's the beauty of looking back is that you can kind of piece together certain things or break things apart and reinterpret them. How's the uh, penguin life?
1: You mean literally the stuffed animal penguin?
0: (laughs) Whatever you want it to mean.
1: <laughs> All right. Well, uh, I had court not yesterday, but the Thursday before that. Okay. And then uh, they, the the what public defender said I was doing amazing, and then Judge Manley asked me, "Are you going to school and work?" And I was like, "Yeah, both." And then the DA was like, "Oh, in addition to going to school and work, you've been recommended to be a peer mentor." So I applied for that and i haven't heard back yet but
0: is that a part of your outpatient group yes
1: right. and uh there's a stipend of ten thousand dollars yeah damn and then, but uh the whole program i think started in may and ends in may so i don't know i guess they had positions filled already but it didn't open up until you know about a month ago hmm and then uh they said uh yeah, asked me how many DB classes I left. So right now I have ten left. So they said the wow. next next court day they'll graduate me, which is uh, March
0: twenty ninth. Damn, that's cool, man. Yeah, that's cool. How many how many <laughs> classes per week do you go to One.
1: DB? I mean, a week, once a week,
0: once a week. Yeah. All right.
1: And then we had our first graduate from the class, uh, not yesterday but the Thursday before. Somebody you know.
0: Oh wow. Yeah. Okay. That's pretty cool. Yeah. What are you going to do when you graduate?
1: I don't know. I mean, I'll be going back home. Uh, it'll allow me time to do things like hopefully start a chess club at De Anza. Mm, uh, that'll be cool. Yeah. Just.
0: It's a surprise that they don't already have one. You know what they do have? The Go Club.
1: Yeah, I think I've seen that.
0: Yeah, yeah. The guy who runs that is pretty cool. I might get involved. How about, let's go back a little bit, the peer mentor. So what are the responsibilities, and what what's the idea behind a peer mentor?
1: Well, in our FSP group, we have uh, two peer mentors that sit in, and then uh, they're there to provide support. Uh, those two people, they, uh, they manage a the drop in center, and, uh, I think part of it is just my case manager told me to be doing things like, you know, help him to get GA, uh, you know, offering any advice you have, uh, some conflict re- resolution as well. And, uh, it's, uh, I don't know, something that people, was you're, I think it's for people that uh, are well on their way in a recovery journey and having like not quite self-sufficient yet, but getting there. Yeah.
0: Hmm. That's interesting. It reminds me of those, um, some girl invited me or encouraged me to be a, uh, what is it called? Not a sponsor, a secretary. (laughs) And, um, one of the requirements is you have to be, well, for the group I was going to, you have to be an alcoholic. So, I was like, oh, I'm out. Plus <laughs> I was, I was considering doing it though, because some other guy was telling me like, Oh yeah, it's, uh, like it could be an interesting experience. Like the stuff that you'll see, <laughs> the stuff, that, you know, especially if you have to go anyway, then you might as well be running it. Um, but, uh, for the peer mentor, it's a little bit more loose. Yeah. As long as you've been involved in their program, they figure, yeah, you're off a little bit. You're off enough. You're a little, you're enough of a deviant from society to, uh, to qualify for this program so that if you make it to this point, yeah, you can mentor somebody. You have enough background. Mm. That's cool. Wow. Did you ever have a, like you've been on this whole medical thing for longer than I have? And it was really just one and done for me, or two and done uh one for antipsychotics and another for bipolar. Have you ever had bad medications, like stuff that made you feel weird, stuff that made you wanna you know do something out of the norm, or have your medications and psychiatrists, with the exception of the guy who took you off medications <laughs> um been pretty you know pretty a pretty comfortable experience?
1: I think I took a one medication, other than Stiproxin, I don't remember what it was called. I think it was. I think we were uh, exploring whether I had ADHD or not. Yeah. So I think we took something that would like improve my attention or something like that. And I didn't. That didn't last very long.
0: Did you have any side effects?
1: And I I think I just said I don't feel comfortable with it.
0: Hmm. Just because of like the idea that you have ADHD, you thought that was wrong.
1: Yeah, it was. I think my junior year, uh, when that happened. I just, it, it didn't feel right.
0: Yeah. Really, I mean, that's what it boils down to, and that's what's kind of creepy about medication in general, but especially mental health stuff, is that you can't really do a blood test to figure out too much. Like, I do a blood test just to make sure my lithium levels aren't toxic, but it tells them nothing about what I'm experiencing. So it all depends on what I say. Like if If, if somebody says, you know, this is terrible for me, And then they get their medication switched and it's twice as bad. Then, well, now they have a new context for like, I don't know, a new range in their mind for what good feels like and what not good feels like. But you might just not know. Like the opposite could be true. You could be on a really shitty medication and be like, yeah, it's fine. I can do everything I need to do. And then, but it turns out your experience could be twice as good, twice as clear. Maybe, you know, your attention or... Your, your sleep or whatever is affected by your medication, um, negatively affected, is reduced. And you don't know it. Like, there could be something out there that could make me twice as snappy or whatever that I don't know about. But because of that, I, just, I feel fine, you know? It's a weird game. But I was talking to some guy who had the worst. Like, he couldn't even – he basically lost the will to live and <laughs> – which is it's only funny because it's been, he overcame this but uh he was he seemed a little groggy so i talked to him for a while and it turned out like all of his hope had been drained by this this medication and 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 it it was to such an extent that the will to advocate for a better medication was also drained so he was he was stuck but like I said, since then he's uh he's he's, he's doing great now, and uh, that's always a side of it, a, a side of the conversation too, for recovery for mental health people specifically is that it's ongoing. Uh, but instead of going to the meetings, like they say this thing in AA, where it's like science has not come up with a solution to our alcoholism yet, and and I think oh yeah, there is a solution to bipolar. Like, there is a scientific solution. That's the difference. I don't need the community because I have the chemical solution. But I'll go. You know, it's, it's good fun and I'm forced to anyway. So whatever. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's that, yes, it's a solution, but also it requires constant maintenance. And the way that it's maintained is different from other medications because there is no blood test. There is no scan or actually I hope there will be a scan where they could just look at your brain and then diagnose you but maybe I'm speculating too much there um so yeah I wanted to know what was your medical journey like so far so and right now is everything good or are there still a couple of bugs to be worked out as far as as far as medication
1: uh a while back I got lowered on the doses of Praxid some 15 milligrams to 10. So I think I experienced, I think, a little bit of a down mood for a little while for, I think, a few weeks, a month. So my my case manager was there, and he kind of, or he met with me, you know, usually every week, and he kind of noticed this, and then, but then he also noticed, he just asked me a question just, has this, like, what's the cause of this? And then, I didn't think of it, but then he was wondering if it was a change in medication, and yeah.
0: Hmm. Yeah. Correlation does not. uh, Well, you know, you took the stats class. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, it's a it's a tricky game. You know, everybody's trying to balance things out, and hopefully, you have a psychiatrist that isn't an asshole. Because if they are, that can make it even worse. Um, I had the worst psychiatrist. The first psychiatrist was the worst psychiatrist because I was in jail. And uh, you had to put in a slip. You could only see the doctor on Wednesdays. So, uh, you know, I put in a slip. You know, something happened. One of the other inmates snatched it out or something. Had to wait another week, put in another slip. Finally, they called me up. And the guy is just from the jump being an asshole. He's like, yeah, you know what I mean? Here, this is what you're going to take. Sign this. And I'm like all right, I mean, let's have a conversation about what's going on. I'm reading over the the paperwork because there's like, it's a whole page full of text and then at the bottom it says sign. And I'm probably, you know, I'm an inmate. I'm probably going to sign it regardless. But um, as I'm reading it, he's getting infuriated. And I'm like, what? I'm just just reading this paper I'm about to sign. Um, And he's like, you know what, this guy is – He's not complying or he's not cooperating. Get him out of here. <laughs> so I was like, are you are you being serious? Because this I was already like somewhat delusional. So I was completely open to the idea that none of this was real. But um I was like, man, what a crazy game that like, this is a part of the video game I'm living in is that you go to this psychiatrist and he's an asshole and you, you're, you're in this weird situation where he has complete power over you, but he needs you to like describe what you're feeling to him. I'm like, why would you, how can you do your job if you're not personable? Like your job requires that people are opening up to you. So how can you do that if you're just he was like a super buff asian dude by the way. <laughs> Not that that matters. <laughs> but um then then the next psychiatrist was the best because that was at a State Hospital and like she heard me out, she explained certain things. She was like she's the reason why I came out of psychosis. Because I I met her and I knew she was a real person. Everybody else that I met It was hard for me to tell because you know how it is in jail. People will say stuff and have the complete opposite emotion that you would expect. Like I went up to some guy's cell and I said, what did he win for? And he said, murder. (laughs) And I was like, no way. But then I realized, yeah, that's how certain people are, especially if you're locked in a cell all day. You're just trying to get human interaction. The old paradigm of, like, this facial expression means this doesn't matter anymore. It's just, like, how do I get the quickest dopamine hit from this other face paying attention to me? (coughs) But, um... Yeah, it seems like uh, you're on the up and up, you know? When are you gonna transfer, by the way? One. Yeah. When are you gonna get out of this community college?
1: I think I'm about, like, Four, quarter of the way in terms of credits, yeah. So probably like two and a half, three years.
0: Damn! And you're not doing any extracurriculars right now. Damn! Yeah, yeah you got to. That's hey. If I could give you some advice, I would say as soon as possible, like as soon as your your time constraints aren't too strenuous or whatever, too tight. Um, get involved in extracurricular yeah. stuff because so much of this is my opinion. But so much of recovery for people like us involves socializing, just getting in the groove of what other and not to say you should be a follower, but you should have an understanding of what people your age are interested in. They're doing and they're excited about so that it's easier to connect because, um. You know, th- there's, there's always the possibility that you achieve what the court may consider recovery, but you, you don't live a very fulfilling life because you don't have a, a strong network. Mm-hmm. And especially if you're leaving a world where, you know, everyone else is, like, doing drugs or going to jail, then what do you have to look, look forward to? And you need to understand that, like, there's criteria to to acceptance, And the sooner you become aware of that, the better, you know, so that it's more likely that, you know, the regular world will accept you. (laughs) Aww. And uh, socializing can do that for you, or or, or just kicking it with people for long enough can do that for you, you know? In fact, I recommend the student government, personally, (laughs) because they're like the the most interested in shit like justice and whatnot, so they're, I don't know maybe it attracts more uh open-minded people or, um, i don't know or whatever you either that or what you're directly interested in like journalism like that's the benefit of doing it not so much doing it for the resume yeah. but doing it so you can hang out with people who are also interested in the same thing and become a member of that group um just so you understand what it's really about. Sometimes looking at things from the outside doesn't really reveal their, their inner workings. And I think in social systems, this is especially true. You don't really know what they're about till you're in the mix. And you should get in the mix and then you should learn and, and then make further decisions from there, reassess, whatever. But I'd say don't, don't underestimate socializing. Obviously you have to take care of business and you've been taking care of business, but um, do not, when, when that's all over, that doesn't mean that, you know, now that's it for the rest of your life. You're recovered. Everything's great. You still have to do the groundwork of understanding who you are as a person and what your, your emotional and social needs are too. And attracting people is like something you can get, get really good at and practice in a community college setting. And then you can leave off to Notre Dame or wherever, and you'll be able to survive. But, I mean, we're in different situations. Like, I flew out here from Alabama in my, you know, frenzy. So I don't have a network here. But what I have are a lot of social skills that I built up over my life that allowed me to build a network. Um, and I think that, you know, everyone everyone should, should value this because I didn't always value that, you know. I wanted the grades, son. The money, you know what I mean, yeah, <laughs> but luckily, I picked up a few things, and now I benefit from it, so i wanna pass that on as if I'm a peer mentor,
1: yeah, my case manager has been uh mentioning that to me on several occasions that he wants me to reach out, not necessarily uh to, to i mean he yeah, he has wondered he has wondered about uh you know he's he has mentioned uh talking about my background to other people and uh i've thought about it and i i've seen a few people and i talked to them but not specifically about what happened
0: do you talk to are you first of all are you a heterosexual do you talk to women about your background no you might want to do that <laughs> you might not but you might want to do that <laughs> Yeah, I agree with your uh, case manager or your mentor. Who was it? Case manager. Yeah, I yeah. agree with your case manager. That's a huge part of life, you know, is not just, as they say, not just what you know, but who you know. And also who you know. It's a little bit deeper than that. Your network can show you who you are as well. And, and, and it can be a reflective process where you are attracted to people you become involved, you understand what they're about, then you can compare what they're about versus to what you're about and say, is this really my group? And if it is, then whatever. Yes. If it's not, then you have even more refined criteria for the next people that you uh, try to interact with or you seek out to interact with. And then also, you you, you can become more attractive too. You can reach a, a, a state where people are seeking you out and then that then you know it's like passive income you don't really have to do too much work after you get that engine running especially if you're attracting people who are going to like make your life more fulfilling but again it's a reflective process you have to know what's going to make your life more fulfilling you have to know what you want you have to know what your skills are you have to know who you want to be who you currently are and um Socializing with people can make these answers a little bit more apparent, but then you could do it wrong and it can make them completely hidden, <laughs> right? So it's just like an ongoing skill set is the point I'm trying to make. But these are some of the benefits that maybe are, are, aren't emphasized as much. Or maybe they are. Who knows? <laughs> but with that, it's time for the most important question the in the universe. The most important question in the are universe. I am. Through or underneath?
1: Underneath. That's right. The Chef of X Podcast. <laughs> Thanks for your time, man, series. Mm, delicious. Gracias.